set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle and crack it cold. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. This is Bruise and Tiny Teeth. Sure. And uh, you're out in Colorado too, so you, um, I don't know, I've, I've learned to ask if people are craft beer drinkers, but if you're from Colorado, craft beer is like a staple of the community. So I didn't want to assume, but I figured there's a good chance, maybe. Uh, I'm not. Um, you're not a craft I, beer guy. Oh, I'm not okay. a craft beer drinker. I am um, actually not much of a drinker at all. That's um, okay. This is a no drink uh, podcast. <laughs> I drink uh, Miller Lite if I drink anything. I'm just a simple country okay. boy from Iowa, so. That's okay. I'm, yeah. I call my, you know, hey, we have that in common. I can call myself a simple, except I remind me where you're from in Iowa too. You're from Eastern Iowa somewhere, right? Uh, yeah, I grew up outside. Of, where are you from? I, I grew up outside of Davenport. Davenport. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, well, actually now while we're on that topic, just roll me right into it because I, I kind of just got us recording here and going, but um, give me the backstory for listeners on um, where you grew up and your dental training and kind of how you got to where you're at now in Colorado. Okay. Well, I'll try to, I'll try to make it somewhat short, but, um, you know, I grew up in, um, outside of Davenport, both my parents were, um, physicians. Uh, my mom was an obstetrician. My dad's a nephrologist. And I thought I, I always knew I wanted to work with kids. And, um, I, I, sh I shadowed our town pediatrician when I was 19. I thought I wanted to be a pediatrician. And, uh, immediately I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I have a little bit of ADHD. And I like to build stuff. I've always been a big woodworker and uh, uh, I, I work construction. I work concrete. I, I did all kinds of jobs and it just wasn't the right thing for me. I, you know, it's more diagnostic, more, um, I don't want to say more uh, cerebral and mental, but it's more of a thinking man's game for sure. And not that I'm mm -hmm. dumb, but I, you know, maybe not the brightest. And uh, my dad's best friend, my dad's best friend and uh, college roommate was Denny McTeague. And he was the head of pediatric dentistry at Ohio State at the time. And he said, why don't you go out and visit Denny? And I thought, you know, I don't want to be a dentist dad, but I'd, I wouldn't mind spending a couple of days in Columbus. So I went out and followed Denny McTeague uh, for a couple of days. And I knew within about five seconds that that's what I wanted to do. And I mean, the rest is kind of history. I, I uh, applied to dental school went to Iowa for dental school. Um, I got into the, Mike Canellis let me into the pedo residency between my junior and senior year. So I didn't have to go through the match. And then uh, I wanted to move to Colorado awesome. <laughs> and Denny McTeague uh, came in handy again. He was really good friends with the woman whose office that um, I joined and eventually took over Betty Barr, who was the first female president of our board. And she was also friends with really good friends with Mike Canellis. Uh, but that's that's kind of how I got to where I'm at. And then I've been in the same office for 17 years. Crazy. Okay, so this was an established office that you kind of associate to buy-in type of situation? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and I can't remember, are you in like a Denver suburb or what part of Colorado are you at over there? I am. I'm in a northern suburb. It's called Westminster, Colorado. Okay. What's the, um? you know, so one of my good buddies practices in Denver and at like in middle of Denver. Um, but uh, what's kind of the pedo scene, you know, kind of where you're at in Denver? I, everybody gets, at least myself, I have a very like stereotypical 
mindset of Denver that, you know, because it's such a cool place, like everybody flocks there, there's a lot of pediatric dentists, but I'm guessing, is that the case? And are you guys a little bit more resilient because you're so established or what's the practice scene like out there for you guys? Um, well, I mean, there certainly are a lot of pediatric dentists. Um, I don't know. I don't, wouldn't say that we're resilient. I mean, everyone feels competition, um, mm-hmm. but most of the pediatric dentists, we're all fairly friendly with one another. Um, we have a big call group. We all cover a call for one another. Um, and do, I mean, is there some, like we've been there for 44 years and do we get patients because of that? Absolutely. Um, but there's certainly lots of other really good providers. So, I mean, it's, it's not like practicing in a rural area where, you know, there may be one or two people that people have a choice to go to. I mean, there's people have options. So you have to be on top of your game all the time. Sure. Sure. Well, so that we can kind of segue from that to like the the meat and potatoes of why I, I had you on here. So I know I kind of gave you a heads up of what I wanted to talk about here today, but I, the last three episodes that I have done, I did three episodes all about like student loan debt. So a lot of finance and like I had guests on talking about big student loan debt and how they paid it off. Last night I had on a couple oral surgeons. We did some like pedo oral surge situations back and forth, but I wanted to, um, to kind of do a podcast on what makes a good, well-rounded pediatric dentist. Cause the more I get into my career, the more importance and, and, um, the more I realize the importance of being a well-rounded pediatric dentist with a good skill set that is constantly developing. And there's a lot of topics that you could branch off. So I thought about you pretty distinctly when you came and lectured. Um, when I was a resident at Iowa, you came back and gave us a lecture during rounds. And you know, a couple of the takeaways I had from that is I remember how fired up you got about, you know, telling us, you know, you guys need to be doing, and I don't want to like get too far ahead in our conversations, but you need to be doing this. You need to be doing this. Like, you know, this is what makes a well-rounded pediatric dentist, like these skill sets, like, and, and the way that you delivered it was very like fired up and passionate and it really stuck with me. And so I thought it would be a good time in the podcast to have you on and talk about, um, some of these things that like, you know, if, if you're not doing these things as a pediatric dentist, these procedures, these skill sets, they're things that you need to, um, consider. So, uh, I, I wrote a list of five or six things that I thought, and I thought maybe we could just take turns going back and forth. Like I, cause I, sure. I know, I remember some of the ones that you had brought up, but I figured maybe you could bring up one and we could talk about it. Then I bring up one, but I've, I've got a handful of things that I wrote down that are things that I'm finding a lot of my colleagues, as I meet a lot of pediatric dentists don't do that they probably should do. So that's kind of what I thought okay. we could, we could roll on. But um, if sure. you've got, if you've got one, feel free to go ahead and kick us off. Um, well, for, I don't want to come off too preachy. I, I do get fired up, but it's only because I really love the profession. Um, and um, I, I think that we need to do a better job with delivering quadrant dentistry with traditional behavior, behavior management techniques. And then, but more importantly, I think you have to offer a legitimate option for oral conscious sedation in your office. Um, pediatric dentistry has become very, very much uh, a lot of the residencies are kind of general anesthesia mills. And if we let it continue to go that direction, you know, then general dentists will compete with us and they'll open up offices that just hire general dentists and they do GL day, GAL day. I always say the dentistry is the monkey work, you know, like the, the special part of it is, can you, can you do traditional behavioral management take techniques? Can you get kids through procedures? And can you offer a legitimate sedation? And I don't mean give the kid a little Versed and 
do some rodeo dentistry and put in the worst MO you've ever done in your life or, you know, <laughs> right. are, are just watch decay and use SDF all the time or, you know, lean on hall crowns your whole life. Um, you have to do definitive dentistry, restorative dentistry. If you want to, you know, you want to treat the, the kids like you treat an adult, not just limp them along and hope things don't abscess because that'll come back to bite you. And as an old man, I will tell you too much hands-off dentistry and you and ends up with kids um, not doing well and, not everyone can afford to go to the operating room. So I think having a good sedation protocol and being safe and, and studying up on it, being knowledgeable and, and trying to deliver um, a viable option is a is really important. Um, and it's a good service to your patients. And if you're, you know, I always tell people, I'm like, if you're not going to really do sedation, don't do it. Don't just do a little bit of Versed and say, oh, everyone I do is a complete disaster. Well, it's because you're not giving them enough. You're giving them enough to piss them off. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't know. I get pretty worked about that one, but sure. No, you know, it's funny. I love talking to uh, some of the older Iowa grads cause I've had a couple other ones on the podcast, Brian Richards. I, um, I, I don't, I've got a list of guys I've had on and they all have, were trained in that era where they say or are saying the exact same things you said, but it's really cool to get that perspective because as you kind of alluded to, that is not a, the way a lot of pediatric dentists are trained anymore, where it's a lot more GA heavy and the, and the old school behavior management is, kind of a dying art form. So it's cool to see the guys that still use it and advocate for it when it's still, it's still a very effective tool, as you kind of mentioned. Yeah. And I'm not talking about hand over mouth or anything like that. I mean, even though I was I'm old enough, I was trained. In that. Um, I'm talking about just, you know, like tell show do explaining, raising your voice. And I don't mean yelling, but like just tone and your command of the room mm-hmm. and um, encouragement and connecting with the kid and you know, spending time to build a relationship with a patient over time so that they trust you and um, de- developing rapport with parents. Like there's a whole, your staff being trained really well. Like all those little things play a role in how successful your procedure is going to be. Mm-hmm. If you think you're just going to show up and everything is going to be a total a total mess um, and your, your, your assistant doesn't know what they're doing in the, the mom, everything, you know, you didn't communicate about, well, what you're going to do and it. It, it it takes a lot of time and attention to detail to have success. And mm-hmm. I still fail every day. Um, and I thought I was a lot better the day I walked out of residency than I do today. Um, but I just, I think the sedation part and the behavioral management is, is, is dying. And a lot of residencies don't even do any, you know, little to no sedation, just like enough to stay accredited. And I think it's, you know, I, I always, I always use, like to use hyperbolic words like disgusting, but I mean it when I say that, like, you know, if you don't want to do sedation and you don't want to take out permanent teeth and you don't want to, you know, know how to bend wire and make your own spacers occasionally. And, um, you know, then you're not a pediatric dentist. I mean, you may have got the degree, but and, you know, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I could go on forever. I get very preachy about it. But, I love um, it. I love it, man. That's why I've had, that's why I'm glad I got you on. So tell me about your, before we keep, cause you already hit on what I was going to say next for my next uh, well-rounded uh, tribute here, but what do you tend to use? What's your current go-to regimen? Do you do a lot of triple cocktail stuff? Are you a chloral hydrate guy? What, what kind yeah. of uh, combo are you using right now? So I use lorazepam for the older kids. Um, and I use, uh, Versed and hydroxazine in combination for like single tooth extractions and real little guys for like a quick occlusal or something. Sure. And then my majority, and I do about two triple combos a day. I use chlorohydrate, um, Demerol and hydroxazine. Demerol hydroxazine. Yeah. Nice. So, um, do you find uh, in the older kids using lorazepam versus diazepam, do you get a little bit smoother sedation, a little shorter? 100%. Like, 
Yeah, yeah. I used I used Valium for years, and mm-hmm. uh, but lorazepam is a really good safe drug, and I use one to two milligrams depending on the body mass of the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find that to be a really good drug. So anybody listening, like if you have a kid that's over 11 years old, especially the females that are really nervous and you're going to do a procedure and they're worried about the injection, lorazepam mixed with nitrous oxides is a great drug. Really good combo. Okay. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good thing to note. Um, I'm going to kind of make note of that. So, okay. So you started hitting on, uh, on what I had down is my first one and people that listen know I'm big into this, but, um, I think a well-rounded pediatric dentist should be able to take out some teeth. And it seems like there's another trend of getting away from extracting teeth. Like I know uh, more than one pediatric dentist that don't like doing any extractions, even on primary teeth, unless they're gimmies where they refer them all out to oral surgeons. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's not, a, that's a disservice to the patient. hundred percent. Yeah. You and, are, you are a general dentist for kids, which means you should don't forget your training. Like you were taught how to do it. You should be, you should learn how to don't let those skills slip away. For sure. And a lot of them do like I, I've gotten burnt on a few permanent teeth, but I I've always figured if I, if I can't do it, especially since I'm one of the few guys that see some Medicaid in the area, you know, these parents aren't going to have access to have it done otherwise. So, um, mm-hmm. like, uh, I, I wrote up a kid for GA today, like, um, nine-year-old special needs, bombed out six-year molars, good second molar sub candidate, like to a T and mm-hmm. needs a, it's going to be a sedation case, but like they have Medicaid. And if I don't take those six-year molars out, nobody else is going to be able to. And that mom, I can tell you is not going to afford it or go to an oral surgeon. So I just think it's a skill set that like, I don't think the oral surgeons are necessarily better equipped to take out, you know, abscess primary teeth on little kids when that's supposed to be right in our wheelhouse of what we do. And I think you'd agree like what you said, but I I think that's an important thing to stay sharp on. Yeah. I mean, everybody can do the layups. Everyone can run a a check of Donna's clinic. Mm -hmm. Everyone can put sealants on and everybody can see all the checkups and give kids hugs and, but can you help a kid in distress and can you not punt it away to the university, the children's hospital in your area to the oral surgeon? You see a kid with a facial cellulitis, you were trained in that stuff. You know how to do it. Like you, you need to help the kid out. So, and I get really appreciated. I, I feel I'm embarrassed listening to myself right now, but um, <laughs> no, you're fine. It just, you know, it's not that I think I can do everything, but in the moment, if it's the best thing to do to help the kid, because if you think about it, every time you refer a kid somewhere else, that's just a longer amount of time it takes to get the kid treated. Right. Exactly. Um, and, you know, if there are things that I send to the oral surgeon for sure, um, but if it's within reason and within the general scope of general dentistry, I mean, I think everyone should be able to take out a first permanent molar. Um, Agreed. You know, Agreed. and in pediatric dentistry, we're going to see special needs adults forever. So you're going to have a 40 year old kid in your office that might need a tooth out. And, um, you know, if, if I ever feel like I'm having trouble getting a tooth out, I just elevate it as much as I can. And I luxate it, go do some other things. And I come back to it and, you know, I just, I try to slowly get it out, but I've been burned. I've broken teeth. I mean, you're going to make mistakes. You can't be afraid to fail. Yep. It's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I could go on forever. I apologize. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, that's good. So Okay. We've already checked a, a couple of them off there. Uh, okay. Your turn. Go for it. What do you got? What do you got next here? Oh, for things you should do? Yeah. For uh, for well-rounded pediatric dentists, what's another skill set that people need to stay sharp on? Uh, this is a really simple one, but um, I had, a, I was, so we're starting a residency program at Denver Health and I was over with some of the interns the other day and a 15 year old came in and he had radiographic calculus and it's a federally qualified health center. So, you know, it's this access to care is an issue. So we had a 15 year old in the chair. And, um, he had radiographic calculus and the, the intern dentist immediately was like, well, I just sent him to the hygienist. And I was like, 
for replaning? I'm like, for what? Replaning and scaling? Or what are we doing here? And like, you know, my thought was, in, in her, the answer back to me was, well, I'm, I don't want to scale teeth anymore. Like, you know, she graduated from dental school, so she was above it. And I'm like, I'm 44. And uh, <laughs> I was like, I'm 44 and I scale teeth every day. You know, I mean, unless mm-hmm. you're going to have a hygienist in your office and that sending that kid to the to a hygienist, he's probably never going to get his teeth cleaned now. So uh, that's a really simple, dumb thing. But um, on a on a more serious note, um, I think that's just an example of how you need to be willing to kind of do everything. And if, sure. if you can help the kid quickly, I think you should do it. And that's something really simple. But yeah, um, but a more serious thing is I think you got to do a little phase one ortho. You know, I don't think, I mean, if you can do as much or a little ortho as you want, but if you got a, uh, a seven-year-old with, you know, a single tooth crossbite, you know, you're very, you know, you feel like they're fairly compliant and parents are on board, like, you know, make them a, a holly with a jack screw with occlusal coverage and, and fix it. Or if you have a Medicaid kid that you think will never, ever get ortho and has a unilateral uh, posterior crossbite, uh, you know, burn the $160 that costs the lab to make the high racks and, and give it to them. Um, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I think a little bit of interceptive orthodontics is important. Um, knowing when to refer them, uh, keeping track of canines, taking panorexes, stuff like that. Yeah, that was a big one you brought up a couple of years ago during that lecture was at least staying sharp on ortho and knowing, you know, uh, offering that skill set. And I, I try to be self-aware. That's something I probably could do a little bit more of. It's felt like since I've been in this first year of opening the practice that I'm still in the put out fires mode where like most of my days seem shot just like taking out abscess teeth because there hasn't right. been a pediatric dentist. But I could see maybe eventually if I got caught up in my population, I could start to offer more of those services. Mm-hmm. So that's that's something I'm self-aware of. I did have something to piggyback when you were saying the calculus thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another thing, and this isn't something I had on my list, but something that I want to get better about doing myself is uh, I never pick up a perio probe anymore. Um, and I feel like there's cases in teenage kids where I probably should do that. And it seems like, you know, I bet if you pull pediatric dentists, if they're telling the truth, how many actually pick up a perio probe, um, you know, not just scale, which is a great point, but, you know, actually kind of consider what is the periodontium doing in some of these older teenage kids. Like, I bet you'd be surprised how many of them wind up with little pockets or issues here and there. I don't know. I just feel like it's something I kind of wish I was better about doing or at least kept a probe in my kit. Um, not to say I'm, you're going to find a lot, but that's something that I was like, Oh, you know, I could probably afford to do a little bit more of that once, you know, you might pick up an early case of like, you know, localized aggressive perio once in a while or something that, you know, in a, a real young kid or a juvenile onset thing. So I don't know if you, if that's something that maybe strikes a chord with you, but that's something self being self-aware I'd like to do a little more of maybe. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good idea. And I definitely lack in that area. Um, and, and throughout your career, you'll, ha- you'll, once a year, you'll get a kid that comes in with a nug. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll get a kid come in with a, a localized seven millimeter pocket. And I think if you look at it like, uh, like you do x-rays, you know, like if you, if you ever take bite wings on a kid and you miss a quadrant, so, you know, you say you get the right side, but the, you only get the uppers on the left, right? If there's no interproximal carries, you're like, oh, he's probably good. You know, I don't want to torture him, make him take it again. Um, Probing would probably be the same. Like if you just had it in your kit and spot probed a half a quadrant, you could probably have a pretty good read on, okay, this kid's, all his pockets are twos. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't know that you need to be perio charting, um, but I mean, I certainly could right. do more. I certainly could do more probing for sure. I mean, I, I'm pretty weak on that. Yeah, no, that's, uh, it's good to be kind of self-aware. So yeah, uh, ortho was a big one that I had, oral sedations and extractions. Um, 
this is this is one that came to mind that I just recently kind of comprehended that this could be a little bit of an issue and it's a bit of a hot button topic. Um, so you tell me your thoughts here, but I am not a phrenectomy guru by any means. I mm -hmm. offer it as a service to the parents that are interested. If I think a kid is a good candidate, I use an electro surge, like a bipolar electro surge. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't fall at one extreme. I don't do them. You know, you get some pediatric dentists that don't do them at all. And some that do them on every kid that walks through the door. However, um, I recently came into an issue where I had a, um, I had a six-year-old kid with a congenital heart defect who was bombed out, needed an eight pack, uh, really severe tongue tie as well. Um, he needed GA, uh, he, full mouth rehab, pulps, grounds everywhere. Mom wanted the tongue tie done at the same time, but I can't do them because I only do in-office GA and they won't do the pre-existing heart condition. I had a bear of a time finding a pediatric dentist that had access to a hospital that could do the full mouth rehab and also do a tongue tie, like, uh, which I get it. But, if, you know, I just, I was like, man, I was hoping I'd find, you know, I was surprised at a lack of pediatric dentist that at least felt comfortable doing it, whether you do it with your a laser, or, um, the electrocautery is so easy and it's something that's not taught. I learned that on YouTube and mm -hmm. it's a fraction of the price of a laser, but, um, like it's, it's not that hard of a procedure to do for the handful of kids that come in that could really benefit from it. That are the slam dunk cases. I, um, it'd be nice to see maybe a few more pediatric dentists, um, that can do it. Luckily I have a colleague I found a uh, shout out to Corey. He's been on the podcast, but he helped me out with that case. He, he did the full mouth. He did it today actually. And did, a um, I don't know if he did a, uh, scissors and snip or what he did, but he did it for me. So, but, uh, but that was one that was on my list as well. Yeah. I, I do a lot of soft tissue stuff. Um, but only if necessary, I'm not the guy that's doing it all the time. Um, so if, you know, maxillary phrenectomies I tend to do between nine and eleven if it's indicated per ortho. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then tongue ties if I if I see it and I if it's an issue. So, you know, three to four years old if there's speech issues or, um, you know, we talk about in in older kids if they're tongue tied. I, we talk about social things like can you get peanut butter off the roof of your mouth? Can you go out in your front teeth? Can you know? And eventually you're going to French kiss somebody. Are you interested in that? Um, so I have a laser and I have scissors and I mean, but the most of the ones I do are on two and three day year olds. Yeah. The young get kids, sent to yeah. me from the lactation clinic and I just have, keep a pair of tissue scissors in my pocket all day. So I get one or two of those a day and mm -hmm. they come in and I tell them I'm not an expert in breastfeeding, but I know the anatomy pretty well. And, um, I'll look at it and if it's indicated, I'll do it. If it not, no. And occasionally you'll do a lip tie, but that's, I believe that to be overtreated. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I do them for the little babies all the time. I probably do between five and six a week. And sometimes I don't oh, wow. see any, I don't see anything, mm -hmm. um, but I do it for free. I don't charge for it. I think it's a good practice builder. And I think it's parents are stressed. The kids usually don't have dental insurance at that time. It, you'll never find a happier um, parent. I mean, if you, in, so what I do is I, I do it in the car seat really quick and then I let them breastfeed for 10 minutes and say, does that help? It might not help. I, and I never mm -hmm. guarantee anything. Sure. Um, Sean, can I ask you, can I ask you a question about that? Sure. Um, what uh, do you find since you do it for free that you end up getting those kids as full-time patients yes, later that's on? A good point. Yeah. So it's mm -hmm. not all altruistic. Like I definitely have that angle of like, mm -hmm. I'm going to help you out and that, uh, hopefully that goodwill carries over and hopefully I'll see you in a year or two. And if sure. I don't, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But um, it's a real rewarding thing to do. It's really simple. It costs you almost nothing. Right. Um, and it's a good, it's a really good service. So I've, I, anyone who's listening, if you, if you ever have any questions about it, just call me, I'm happy to talk to you about it. But I think 
we should be doing. Um, and Mike Canellis taught me that at Iowa. He took me over to the hospital and used to, I used to do them with him. And we mm-hmm. would go right in there. The moms would be there with the baby. This one, parents, moms would stay in the hospital for a couple of days. Um, not like they do now, but, um, and we would do it right there. And we just, he'd have scissors in his pocket. And I always think about him because I always have scissors in my pocket. And, mm-hmm. um, my dental assistant holds the tongue up, puts two fingers underneath it, pulls it really taut. And I just go, snip it. Uh, Mike's been on the podcast. He was on a few months ago. Um, he's uh, he's such an interesting dude. He wrote a book. He wrote like a murder mystery book. I don't know. Oh, I know. He was... he, he's supposed to send me a signed copy. He's one. Mike's one of my better friends. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's great. He's awesome. Yeah. He was a really good podcast guest too. So, um, okay. So I, I still have a couple on the list, but I think it was your turn. If you had another one, I was gonna let you go for it. Otherwise oh. I, I have a few as well. If there's, if there's anything I think, else. I think you got to push for aesthetics. I think we put that to the back burner a lot. Like you got to be really good at fracture repairs. Um, you're going to see a lot of kids with missing seven and 10 pegged laterals. Um, I get, I get hell for this all the time, but I do, um, no prep Emacs press veneers on pegged laterals on teenage kids. And I was just, I, I charge basically the lab fee cause I don't want to gouge the parents, mm-hmm. but I hate building them up with composite. Cause I always feel like they never look that great mm-hmm. and they chip and they break. And, um, if you do a no prep Emacs press veneer, you can press it really thin. So even if you get some passive eruption later, it's hard to see where that margin is mm-hmm. and whoever cuts it off later and replaces it, you know, you didn't damage anything. Um, I'll do, I do Maryland bridges, um, or sometimes I'll do pedo partials, um, instead of flippers, like, you know, it's like a Nance with teeth on it for congenitally missing seven and 10. Um, I think, you know, the stuff with icon or some people just use etch primer bond for the hypoplastic spots, like, especially if a parent brings it up to you. And if the parent brings it up to you, there's obviously a concern in the household that like if a kid's got a localized hypoplastic spot on a tooth. So mm-hmm. I think you need to address it. And even if they don't bring it up to you, I would say, Hey, you know, I don't want you to think I don't notice this. I do notice it. I have it written down. If it's ever an issue, we can fix it. Um, there's no pressure to fix it. And obviously it's like anything else, the longer you wait to fix it, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think sometimes as pediatric dentists, we're like, oh, there are kids, they can get it fixed when they're adults. Well, it gets kind of hard when your patient population gets a little bit older and you're, you'll see your patients kind of grow with you. And as your kid, you have, I'm assuming you have kids. Uh, I married, but no kids yet. No kids. No kids yet. Yep. Yep. And once, like I have teenage kids and mm-hmm. they do care about that stuff. So um, you don't want to punt a 13 year old to a prosthodontist and, you know, that might have some behavioral issues or nervous right. energy and it's missing a tooth. You want to have some good solutions for them. So staying up on your pros stuff and, you know, doing a, a permanent crown occasionally on your mom or your sister or something just keeps your hands in it a little bit, knowing mm-hmm. and bonding and, um, Can you walk all me that through, helpful. walk me through the process. Cause these are all fantastic points. I kind of have something that we're going to, I'm going to piggyback after this, but, uh, some aesthetic dentistry is, is a big one that gets overlooked. So tell me about, um, like, let's say you've got a peg lateral case, like maybe a number 10, that's a peg lateral cooperative kiddo, you know, uh, permanent dentition, teenage girl or something. And she's mm-hmm. conscious, she's going to prom, she wants a fixture, um, you know, numb prep, uh, PVS and prep. Like I, I just, this coming from a guy that should do more of these. So tell me like your stepwise process for some of this stuff. Yeah. So no prep, typically. no prep, no okay. prep. So, um, PVS impression, see you in two weeks. Um, and sense so, the lab shade photo. Um, and then sometimes I'll roughen it with the diamond just barely. So make mm-hmm. so like minimal to no prep just okay. for a little better retention. 
but and there's a bunch of pictures that I'm on my Instagram and anyone listening can look at my Instagram. It's children's dentistry, Colorado on Instagram, but there's a bunch of pictures of no prep veneers. And yeah, I don't really touch the teeth. I just take a PVS impression and I send it out. And then usually my lab cost, I think is around 600 bucks mm-hmm. and I may charge a hundred more than what my lab cost is. Okay. So I'm not charging $1,200 a tooth. Sure. I, I'm mainly doing it to save myself time. Cause if you get into the business, did you go to Iowa for dental school? Yeah, Iowa for the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. So if you get into the business of Marcos Vargas building teeth up with composite mm-hmm. all the time, which I love Marcos, he's an artist, he's awesome. Um, but they're going to chip and break and you're going to fool with them and you're never going to feel good about charging people to fix them. So um, you're just going to burn a lot of chair time. So I, I look at it like it's saving me time, money. Because mm-hmm. if I do a, um, a no prep veneer and I bond it, like I don't have to mess with it. So that's yeah. why I do it. Tell me about your bonding process. You get it back from the lab, you diamond, you know, kind of roughing up the tooth to get some better attention. Um, I mean, is it, do you just have like a, some sort of Reliax, like a, like a dual cure of some kind or what's your like bonding yeah, I, process? I've like? used Reliax in the past. I've recently switched to Panavia because I Panavia. just feel like it's a better, and it's a, just a better cement. It's also a du- dual cure, but it's, it's a little more technique sensitive, but uh, I've had enough Maryland bridges come off and, those are a pain in the butt. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, I will say if I have had a couple cases lately where I've had a couple of kids who are a little class three who were missing seven and 10, mm-hmm. they weren't full step on class three, but just a little bit so that you couldn't get good wings. Mm-hmm. And um, this is going to sound crazy and there'll be people that give me hell for this, but that's fine. I don't care. Um, I made Maryland bridges with veneers on six, 11, eight, and nine. So the wings were on the facial instead of the lingual. Oh, wild. Yeah. And really huh. thin, like pressed Emacs, no prep, just mm-hmm. like glued on the front. Huh. And it turned out turned out okay, I, I guess, right? They look yeah. awesome. And they look like a movie star because they got all new teeth. Now, some yeah. people would say that's aggressive, but I'm like, well, you know, they're not old enough for implants. And I don't know their parents can afford a $12,000 bill right now anyway if they were old enough. Sure. Yeah. And uh, their occlusion's not right. And, you know, the patient was patient. I've had two patients um, that I've done it to and... um. I just thought I was in, I was actually in Missouri. I was in Cameron, Missouri at my wife's parents' farm. And I had this, I had a, uh, a kid call me and he's like, my bridge came off and his name's Jordan and he's class three. And I'm like, damn it, this is the second time, you know, pretty soon it's just making me look bad. And, and I just got the idea to put him on the facial. And I'm also personally missing seven and 10. Oh, so wow. I have Maryland bridges cause I don't have room for implants. My roots are dialacerated on eight and nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, well, why don't we just put veneers on the front and we'll we'll use that as our um, connector to the Ponic. And it's worked out really well. Um, but it, people will give me hell about that, but that's fine. It's, it was well, just a, okay. a unique uh, solution to a problem. Sure, sure. Well, the underlying principle, I, I think it's um, you have a really, really good point. And it's something that's I'm adding that to the list of things that I want to keep in my repertoire. You know, and, and my last point I made on this whole list was, you know, you and I sitting here talking doesn't mean we need to be doing molar endo every day and adult crowns no, every day, God but no. you know, but like enough, like, like keeping enough of that skill set there where, when the situation calls for it, you at least don't have to punt it. You know, you, you know, I, and, and this falls into that same category where some um, aesthetic dentistry is important. And the thing that I had on my list yeah, and like the endos- uh, very closely related to this was doing. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Go for it. There's a little lag there. You were saying something about the endo stuff. No. And like, everything's a gradient, right? Like you should take teeth out, but if 
you know, you probably shouldn't be taking out impacted wisdom teeth. That's the oral surgeon's job. Um, and with endo, you know, you, you, you shouldn't be doing molar endo. It's not a good use of your time um, unless you're really fast and really good at it. But you should be able to access a molar and get the kid comfortable. Mm-hmm. Agreed. You know, yep. and occasionally you're going to yep. have to do a single rooted um, endo on a special needs kid who takes a fall. Because if the, it's mm-hmm. either take the tooth out or do endo in the in, in the operating room on, on that kid, you're going to do the endo. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a gradient. I'm not saying you have to do everything. Um, if you have a special needs kid and they have a significant, uh, you know, they have acute recession on 24. Well, you might not be able to place a graft, but, you know, a little dirty secret is a prepared graft bed and like pushing the gingival tissue up. And if it scars down, like that's a, that's actually a good graft because sometimes the graft just comes off anyway. But if you know how to prepare a graft bed, that's a really kind of dirty little secret that that area will scar over and they'll get keratinized tissue in that area. And that might save that tooth long-term. Or the kid that comes in with a hot number 14 and you can't do the molar endo, but you can get the kid numb and open it up and get him out of pain and then get him to the end of the because you have, that's the hardest part, right? Is getting it accessed. And if you can get them out of acute pain, well, that makes the endodontist job easier. And they're going to want to see those kids more often because they don't come to their office a complete mess. For sure. Um, For sure. So stuff like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly what I'm talking about is like those, those situations are exactly it. So, um, going back to the aesthetic thing, one of the things I had on my list, um, uh, was like trauma to primary teeth in combination with doing zirconia or strip crowns. Um, I had this conversation with the listener the other day, who's a really good pediatric dentist. Cause I did a case on my Facebook. Uh, I do a lot of like before and after and cases and stuff kind of like on Instagram and stuff, but, um, it seems like there's a, a quite a few dentists that don't do this. And I, di- I didn't do a lot of these in residency, but moms that come in that are willing to pay to try to save a question, not a questionable, but like maybe a traumatized primary ENF or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's easy as pediatric dentists to get in that boat of, you know, it's a baby tooth. Like, you know, we get used to pulling so many of them and you see mm-hmm. Medicaid kids with bombed out cavities and you just pull those incisors all day. You forget that there's some moms that like, you know, they do everything right. They brush their kids' teeth and they have active little boys and they fall and they, you know, uh, get dark, discolored, gray, maybe the start of an abscess or symptoms or something, but that tooth is dark and man, they really, really want to save it. And I feel like it's a good service to offer that if it's within reason, like a decent prognosis to try to save those. So I find myself at least offering that to parents. And I did a case in, uh, the OR, he wasn't cooperative enough. He was only three, almost four. Um, but, uh, fell and hit concrete like a few months ago, teeth were discolored. And on the x-ray, there's tiny little like, um, periapical lesions on ENF, not real symptomatic, but you know, it's kind of a ticking time bomb. Mom really wanted to save the tooth. 90% of pediatric dentists said, let's just need a knee, take them out. But I gave her the option and she's like, whatever, I'll pay for it. Let's go. So I, I took him to the, uh, a quick sedation. We did a quick, it, it was GA, but did quick GA pulpectomies, cleaned him out, really good fill, got two nice zirconia crowns. He looked great. Um, so at least gave him a fighting chance. Uh, I'm not saying you yeah. got to do that to every kid, but I'm finding that um, I think being in the service industry, it's at least a good idea to be able to offer that to the parents that are interested, in my opinion. Yeah, I know. I think that was a good call. I do that all the time. Um, I tell, and no, the full disclosure, my, old, my youngest son, uh, when he was two, got pushed into a coffee table by his two older brothers and his teeth went dark and abscess and I pulled them and I didn't think twice mm-hmm. about it. 
because he was my kid and you're just different with your own kids than you are with other people's kids. Um, right. But if somebody comes in and they, this exact situation you're talking about, which everyone listening to this will go through that, you know, you got to put yourself in the parent's shoes and if it, everyone gets stressed about different things. And if that parent or parents are stressed about taking teeth out, you know, you can't discredit that and just tell them, well, this is just what it is. Sorry. You can give them the option. And I will tell you from experience, and I've done that. And then I've had the teeth fail later and I still had to extract them. Um, is there usually okay with that? Like one, if you, if you can even get two yep. years out of it and you end up pulling them a year earlier and there's no damage to the permanent teeth, um, they're usually okay with it. Um, mm-hmm. So if you can just buy them a little time, because really that's what you're doing. And they know in the back of their head that this was the last thing they could do. And they, they did it and they, they come to terms with it and they feel better about it. Um, I think that's a, that's, that's a fine option as long as everyone knows what's going. And that's, that goes back to communicating, which I'm sure you're pretty good at. But always tell them, just say, you know, I, yeah, I can do it. But if it fails, you got to remember that I told you it, it could, it, this can fail. Sure, um, sure. So, yeah, I think that's. I it's don't ever don't ever say I'm only going to do it this way. My thing, and this kind of goes to this is a little off topic, but along the same lines. But with special needs kids, um, I t- tell parents all the time. I'm like, you know, there's there's not a book on how to treat an autistic kid because they're all different. Mm-hmm. So I'll take whatever advice you give me, and if if I need to sit on the floor to extract this tooth, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, or if I need to sit on the floor to if I need to stand on my head to look at them, I'll do it. So. <laughs> And that kind of goes, I always tell pediatric dentists, they have to be in good shape and, and stay physically fit because it's a physically demanding job. Sure. Um, but yeah, you have to be a little bit, be willing to change and adapt to the situation a little bit, but just make sure you get people full disclosure. Um, when I was in residency, I, Mike Canellis and I took on a special needs girl who lived on a farm. We probably went to the dentist every five years. She had an abscess number 19. And I took it out on the floor with all the dental assistants at the CCD. Um, <laughs> and I took that tooth out and we let her go and she jumped up and she was like 19 and she ran out of the CCD mm. and blood everywhere. You know, I mean, not that that, that wasn't a good situation, but that's what the parents wanted. And um, yeah, I mean, I, so that's a little extreme, but to you, I think you're doing the right thing. Give people options and, you know, I always tell them like, I'm not selling you in anything. I just, I'll tell you what I think you should do, but I'll give you all the options and then you make the decision and I'm just here to help. Now there are times when things are, there isn't a choice, mm-hmm. you know, kid walks in with abscess J and their face is swollen and you're getting near an orb- orbital cellulitis. Like that tooth's coming tooth out, out, you're going on antibiotics or you're going to end up in the hospital. So right, there are times when you have to be more stern, but you know, throwing a Hail Mary pass on ENF, not the end of the world. Yeah. I like, uh, I like the communication side of thing. People have know I say this, but, uh, the analogy I give to parents a lot is like, I'm a chef at a restaurant with the menu. Like here's your menu. Option A is we watch and leave it. Option B is we can try to do a pulp and crown. We can do it with sedation or we can pull the teeth. You you can, whatever you want to order, you just have to order off my menu. And they, they kind of like that, that option as well. Last question I had for you regarding the aesthetic thing before we do another two and finish up here. But uh, do you do um, zirconia or strip crowns? You are trained in strip crowns. Do you mess with zirconia? What uh, or do you do a little of both? What what do you what's your go to for fixing? Um, you know, for white up, up on front incisors and stuff. So I do all zirconia. I very rarely ever do a stainless steel crown. A strip, strip crown though. Do you do a strip crowns up strip, front? Strip crowns are garbage. Okay. So I, okay. Yeah. 
No, no, and that's fine. I ask you that because I would have assumed, were you not trained to do strip crowns when you were a resident? I was trained to do strip crowns and open face, but I was also the first person in private practice in the United States to do zirconia crowns. You're kidding me. No. So all the original stuff was done on this little kid, Archie. And that's all the original stuff from New Smile. Those are his teeth. Randy Stewart, I think, was the first clinician to ever do them. Um, but I do all zirconia. I've done a, t- a ton of New Smile. I like Sprig a little better for the anterior. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend Jeff Fisher owns Sprig. He's been a b- good friend of mine. Um, but yeah, I, even in the posterior, I do also zirconia. I occasionally do a stainless steel crown on the posterior, but pretty rare. And I, I have a high carriage practice and I don't oh, charge any. So let's talk about that. So, so you do, you do a lot of posterior zirconia, even almost more so than stainless steel. I don't do any posterior stainless steel. Very rare. You're kidding me. Wow. No. That's Wow. It even on eight, like, I mean, even on eight so, packs so like, or whatever. Wow, yeah, dude, good for you. But that's just, it's crazy. Cause that was one of the things to bring up was, um, um, I'm trying to get better to push myself to do more zirconia on, you know, kids in clinic. Um, you know, initially when you get out of residency and you've only done 50 of them, you know, or 30 of them, you, uh, I feel like at least for myself, my confidence wasn't to the point where if I'm trying to do that and behavior management, they're kind of technique sensitive enough. I didn't feel confident, but I've done, you know, 500 of them now where I feel pretty confident if I have a decent behavior management, I can, I can whip them out pretty fast. I'm not quite there on posterior teeth. Like I feel like, you know, uh, about half of them are like no touch and they thunk right down. And then the other half I get a catch and I swear and I cuss and I can't figure out why it's hanging up and I'm not fully seating it. So I'm not quite there on posterior teeth, but I feel like as a well-rounded pediatric dentist, that's something I'm trying to work on is to get faster at them and make sure I offer them, um, mm-hmm. a lot, but I, I need to just keep pushing myself. I've seen a couple pictures of kids that get a full mouth of like 20 out of 20 crazy, like white or, you know, or a huge percentage uh, zirconia and I'm really impressed and I want to get to that point and just push myself, but it's, um, it's just, it's just practice. Everybody struggles with it initially. Um, my recommendation is always to practice on L and S they're the easiest two to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and use a rubber dam when you're doing it. Um, it's just easier. Um, but yeah, you just got to practice. I mean, it took me a long time to get to that point. I still do stainless steel here and there, but it's pretty rare. Hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I, I feel like I end up doing more, the times that I do these, I I'll do like stainless steels on the seconds. Um, you know, it's the back to back that have got me in a bind, like, especially with a lot of space loss and stuff. I use new smile for all mm-hmm. of mine and they have the narrow ones, which are nice, but you know, still occasionally like, you know, I'll, I'll get into a bind and I can't quite fit them back to back. And I wind up thunking a stainless steel on the second because it's less, the aesthetics are less of a concern. And then I'll yeah, put and the I white think on that's a great one. place to start. Um, mm-hmm the sprig crowns are a little more walled, you mm-hmm. know, like, so you know how a, a D has kind of a straight distal wall. Uh, the, the sprigs kind of mimic that a little bit more, although the new smile posteriors are a little more bulbous. They look a little more natural from the, the buckle aspect, but mm-hmm. it's just practice. And then yeah. sometimes you can't, if you have too much space loss, you can't do it. I mean, that's just the reality, but mm-hmm. um, I think it's where we're going. And I think, some pediatric dentists say crazy things like you have to take away too much tooth structure. It takes too long. You have to pull up every tooth. They break. That's all BS. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, if it take in, yeah, I've heard people say, well, I have to charge more because it takes me longer. I go, it's not the patient's or parents fault that you didn't practice. You know, it's just, um, 
So, I mean, you just got to practice and you do them on kids that you know you can do them. And initially I would always just tell people, I'm like, hey, I'm going to try to do a white crown on this. It's no extra charge to you. And if I can't, we'll just do the stainless steel. And But I'm going to give it a try. Um, yeah, that's, that's a great idea. That's a good one. You know, just cherry pick a couple good ones to get your confidence up and get your speed up. I need to do that more often. That's a yeah. good thought. And B and, um, I are I, t- B and I are tough. Like L and S are good places to start. Mm-hmm. Um, I brought the strip crown up because, uh, I was not trained on strip crown. I did one strip crown in my, um, in all of residency and I liked zirconia and it's kind of what I'm used to. I did just buy uh, a couple weeks ago, my first set of, uh, primary strip crowns for the purpose of, um, I've seen some cases on IPDO that I've started dabbling in with, um, you get a, you know, say like a year and a half, two year old that falls and has like a, you know, a big incisal enamel dent fracture, like on E. Um, and maybe it's sensitive or it's sharp. I've seen some people do some cases with those strip crowns where they'll use like Equia, um, mm. like Equia Forte and they'll fill it up. They'll put the strip crown over it, let it sit there. And then they peel it off and, and coat it. And I'm always surprised at like how well they turn out. And, you know, granted people are only showing the cases that look amazing. Right. Right. But, um, um, I, I, and then I, at first I was like, I'm not interested in strip crowns, but then I had like two or three cases. My patient population is, you know, Medicaid and active and high cares and everything else. And I'm always getting these trauma cases and little kids. And I just got tired of being like, well, the option are we watch and leave it. If you want to proactively extract it, we do that. Or we go to the OR and try to do it. So I like the option of like being like, well, we can try this strip crown option. That's the only reason I brought up the strip crown is mm-hmm. like for like these infant kids or the real little kids where you can need a knee crying style smush and try. Yeah. I've only done one of them, but it's a skill that I'm like, ah, eh, well, we're in a pediatric dentist. That's something I at least want to try and see if it works, but I haven't done yeah. enough to have an opinion yet, I guess. No, I do that. I do that. Do so I, okay. I have strip crowns for that reason. And I cut them way back and sometimes I even cut the facial off. So it's just like a lingual matrix. Mm-hmm. I just hold it there, etch prime bond. And then I squirt material in it. I have a little bond on my glove and a Hollenbeck mm-hmm. and I just shape it real quick. And then my assistant hits it with the light. So I, I, I use them for that. Um, okay. But if you have a kid who's got significant carries on DEF and G and they're two years old and you're doing strip crowns on them, which when I say they're garbage, like if some people do a beautiful job with them and they, they look great. My experience has just been long-term that they're just not as strong. So if they're not as strong, I'm, I'm going to use zirconia. Cause they typically don't sure. chip, chip and break and stain. But I mean, there's no mm-hmm. question the day that you do them, they look awesome. I just, I don't have a, enough confidence in myself two years out. Are they still going to look that good? Mm-hmm. So what, I, uh, I, I prefer zirconia. Sure. Or do you use a, like, do you use a packable composite of some kind when you do those situations normally? Or do you use, I use a glass? Grand, of- yeah, I use Grandio. Okay. Uh, and I, but I use a composite warmer too. That's another trick. If it, do you, is it, if, People are not using a composite warmer. They're awesome. Well, I tell you, I I got this hack from another dentist. Uh, Instead of buying the composite warmer, I literally bought a $15, you know, in a startup budget's tight. You're trying to think of stupid ways to save. I bought one of those McAfee little coffee warmer pads and my assistant turns it on for about like two, three minutes beforehand and it softens it up. But it just was, eventually I'll probably buy like a legit composite no, warmer. No, don't. I mean, I think that's a, that's a great idea. I'm glad you shared that. Yeah, I mean, that's it was a good one. Mm-hmm. That's a great idea. Um, so then this is actually the last thing I had on my list and it flows really nicely, but the last one I had in well-rounded pediatric dentist was trying, not being afraid to try some new materials. And the Equia one is, is one people know that I've started messing with, but like, um, I'm not buying every composite under the sun. I kind of find a few things that I like, but I've, I'm trying to learn like, you know, 
trying some different sealants and I do a lot of split mouth things. Like if I got a cooperative kid and maybe I use, I'm going to bond my embrace on this side. And then I got some new, you know, uh, I do some glass ionomer sealants on hyperplastic molars and I try it this way, but I feel like I'm always trying at least giving some new materials a chance to see how mm-hmm. they work. But I just know a lot of pediatric dentists that are using the same composite that they used 20 years ago and never really try anything new. And I just think it's a good idea to at least like not be afraid to try some new materials just because every so many years, the technology just keeps getting better and better. And I I don't, I would guess from what we've talked about, you're probably, you seem like the type of guy that's not afraid to try some new materials, but. Yeah, no, I, I do. I use a lot of different materials and I'm always messing around with stuff. Um, I, I'm, you know, I, the, the best one, and it's a real simple one, but the best one that I've got is I switched to, um, uh, Surefill for my sealants. It's a, it's a packed flowable. Mm-hmm. Not packed. How do you say that? It's a fill like a, a high filler. Yeah. Yeah. High filler content. Yep. But yep. it's a kind of self-leveling and, mm-hmm. uh, it's tooth colored and it's just, I mean, I love this stuff. It is so good. Um, there's very few things and I'm like, man, this stuff's awesome, but it really is awesome. And that's um, for your sealants. You said you've been using it as a sealant. Yep. So yep. I don't use any of that sealant material. I use a regular old composite and I used to use a packable composite and I'd pound it in there. Mm-hmm. Um, with a, a, a ball burnisher because I just don't, the sealant materials I always felt like kind of failed. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that's, I, that's a good one. I mean, if anyone's not doing trimix pulpotomies, I think you need to do that for blown out ease. If you're trying to just save them until the sixes come in. Um, I, I mess around with composite a lot, uh, different kind of, you know, I switched to zirconia a long time ago, but um yeah, I'm always messing around with materials and bonding stuff. Any, every time I think I'm I'm not doing something as well as I should, I try something different. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I've always said, I think that's a sign of a of a a good clin, a good clinician, like a critical thinker. You know, because it seems like it's a miracle that we can get things to last as long as we can in the mouth because we're literally mm-hmm. putting plastic in a kid's mouth who's eating dirt and biting on crap all day and shit mm-hmm. and everything else. Like it's amazing. We can get things to last as long as we can. So yeah. it's, it's, it's just cool that like, you know, it's cool to play with different things, new materials and stuff. So. Yeah. And um, I, you know, back to the zirconia thing, just for a second, like to the gold and stainless steel are still the best things we put in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Just people don't like the way they look. I mean, zirconia, right. stainless steel crowns are awesome. Mm-hmm. So don't, I don't want anyone to think I'm crapping on them for that. It just, Parents want white, so I try to appease them. Yeah. Yeah, I, man, that's one of the takeaways I'm doing, uh, taking home from this. I need to at least start offering it because, you know, I don't know how you, you know, communication, like you said, is everything. But I think about the last kid I had in the office today. Mom's a physical therapist, good family, first time bringing her kid. You know, she's smart, but doesn't bring her kid to the dentist till six. Six-year-olds bombed out, like full eight-pack, multiple, like two abscesses total overhaul. I feel like the conversation is so in depth. How do we get to this point? What's causing this? Oh my God, I'm so shocked. You know, pointing, look at the x-rays, all this stuff that like, how are we going to fix this? Do we do it with nitrous? Do we do a station? And what are we doing? That like diving into the differences between like doing white crowns on the first molars, obviously it's all white canine forward, but like the white versus stainless steel, like I'm usually so exhausted and just like beating the conversation to death that a lot of times I don't bring it up. Um, so it's just a communication skill that I need to work on is like finding a way to not necessarily sell it, but like make sure that I at least give it as an option to parents that, um, that might be interested, I guess. So something I need to work on for sure. 
Well, and as you get better at it, then, you know, I'd start with, you know, you're doing it on all the interiors and then, you know, eventually you're saying, well, every first molar, unless it's some crazy one, I'm going to put a zirconia crown on. I'm just, I'm going to commit to that. Um, Mm -hmm. Mark Berman's an oral surgeon in town and I was doing some, I was doing a mesiodens and he was in the OR next to me and he just came in and talked to me and I was like, you know what, Mark, I just, I'm not very good at my suturing. And he's like, well, just put a stitch in every time you take a tooth out. And I was like, well, that's overkill. He's like, but it's good practice. I mean, I didn't do that, but I, going forward, anytime I took out two teeth in a row, it's very rare you put stitches in. I'd just throw one in just to get better at it. And sure mm-hmm. enough, over time, I got a lot better at it. And Sure. So you just got to, my point of that story is just committing to like, well, I, instead of like worrying about it, I'm just going to do this. I'm mm-hmm. just going to get better at it. Like I still have days. I mean, everyone has days where like you cut an MODO and you're like, God, those look like crap. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then for the next couple of weeks, you're like, all right, I'm going to go back to the basics. I'm going to put the rubber dam on. I'm going to pre-wedge. I'm going to like, I'm going to really pay attention to my box. I'm going to cut the ideal prep first. I'm going to go in with a round burr and mm-hmm. extend if I need to. And um, you know what I mean? Like it's, I've, I've blown out a box through a matrix and cause I was trying to go too fast and cause I was worried about the five recalls I had to go see. And, you know, you just have to commit to getting better and recognize when you screw up. And Mike mm-hmm. Canellis would always say is like the things that are going to fail are going to be the things that you thought you did great. And he's like, the things that walk out and you're like, God, I hope that lasts until tomorrow end up being fine. You never hear about it again. So there's no, there's no, um, way to guarantee you're always going to have awesome work. You just keep trying and you, you will have stuff fail and you will stay up at night and you'll have a parent yell at you. And, um, but that one person makes you feel terrible, even though a thousand people before then you did a great job and they're right. happy and right. gracious and, so I don't yeah. know. I mean, it's a hard job. That's the other thing. And I know you were talking yeah. about student debt on your other one. And the one thing I would tell all the young dentists is it's not fair that you guys have so much student debt when we didn't. Um, but you made Mike Canellis also said this. He said, you make your money a tooth at a time and it's a mm-hmm. hard job and you got to grind it out and it's work. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the student loan thing is not, that's not a fair thing. That's us old people didn't have to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, that was an interesting set of podcasts. It was one worth listening to, but I, I had seven different guests on and it's um, it's amazing how it affects, you know, just that sheer debt load affects. And, and there's so many different, man, there's, I don't know, it's a whole can of worms, but yeah, you got like some people that just want to rock it out and pay it off fast. Some that refinance eight times and then are paying it off real slow and doing other investing things. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a complicated uh, discussion that everybody's kind of got their different way of dealing with it, but it definitely affects everything that you do with your financial life and your, you know, um, the, the one common denominator, a lot of them had though, which tying all this together was a lot of practice ownership. You know, it seemed like the people that were able to start a practice, buy into a practice, were able to at least knock it out a little bit faster, but just having that autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to do a podcast in a few weeks. Uh, the five reasons you own a pediatric practice. It's a, a I got that off of a Kane Waters lecture I listened to, but um, I'm very pro practice ownership. So I've got a podcast I'm going to do that's going to talk about that coming up too, which will be good. Yeah, I am too. I mean, I, not that there's anything wrong with corporate dentistry, but I think it's better. You're in a better place to serve people if you own your own shop. For sure. Because you can bend the rules. Mm-hmm, exactly. Especially financially if you need to. So, mm-hmm. Sean, we this conversation was everything I was like trying to hope for, for this was like, like, I feel like we hit everything. And then some that I was after, like, 
I need to be doing more zirconia. I need to like fine tune some sedation things. Like even I'm being self-aware of like things I need to work on. So this was a really good discussion on things that, um, you know, you can tell even just talking to you that like, um, not all pediatric dentists are made the same and it's nice to find a few that like still have a very wide skill set and a lot of services to offer. So I, uh, I appreciate you coming on and kind of like hopefully motivating myself and some listeners to like always keep your skill, skill set sharp, skill set sharp and trying to push kind of yourself and what sort of things that you can do as a pediatric dentist. So all good stuff. Well, thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. And, uh, I, I come off as a little bit of a blowhard. So, uh, but I really do love the profession and everything I say is more, is geared towards, uh, just making sure that we, we keep protect our specialty and the more skills we have, the more we are needed. Um, and if we become a GA focused specialty, we're going to lose market share, um, and Medicaid mm-hmm. mills will drown us out. So, um, and that's the other thing too. Everyone should see a little Medicaid. You don't see a ton, but everyone yeah. should see a little, um, you know, it's, it's kind of our duty to take care of everybody. And if you don't see poor people, eventually you'll get legislated to see them. So we might as well keep that under our own control. Um, so any, I don't know. I could keep talking forever, but I'll be. Wow, quiet. that's a great. That's a great line to close it out with. Yeah, if we <laughs> eventually we're going to get legislated to do it, and it's not wrong. Everybody, uh, there's a God, okay. Last note here. Uh, Missouri sent out a letter. I don't know if it was just in Missouri, but Delta Dental sent out a letter like they're dropping a bunch of. Uh, um, I got one today in my office, but they're lowering a bunch of like reimbursement rates. But yeah, it seems like nobody's ever raising fees, and more and more people are on Medicaid. Like it's kind of headed that direction, anyways. Like. Um, I don't know. It's a good line to end it with, you know, it's, uh, eventually we're going to get legislated to do it. And if, uh, I think this was a Canellas thing too, but if not me, then who, and if not now, then when type of thing, like if, uh, if I don't see some of these Medicaid kids, who's gonna, you know, who's gonna help treat these kids and see them. So the number of parents and just fans that you see and, you know, uh, families that just love you just because you see those kids, you know, it, that's, that's like you said, it's a hard job, but that is a pretty good feel good moment when you help some of those kids out too, that can't find a dentist elsewhere. So that's pretty neat as well. Yeah. And Mike would always say, you know, you should be so lucky that somebody wants to come see you whether mm-hmm. they can pay or not. Right. right. You know, that's a big deal. Um, and I'll be your first sponsor of your podcast. You know, I own a, a oral healthcare company called smile S M I Y L. Oh. Um, Tell me about it. I don't know. What's all, what's that all about? Well, we have training toothpaste and we're coming out with a fluoride paste and we sell bamboo toothbrushes, but Todd Gray and I, we both trained at Iowa, started it about a year ago. And, um, but it's smile, S M I Y L.com. Anyone who gets sprig crowns gets a sample of it occasionally with oh, their crowns. Cool. Um, I'll have to check it out. It's on, it's, it's, uh, on Walmart's website and stores and it's on a bunch of local grocery stores. It's on toothbrushhub.com And, uh, but I'll send you a bunch of it for your office. Yeah, let me try some out. I'll give it a whirl. Yeah, Sean, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, you know, you were saying, you know, questions on some of this stuff. Uh, as we wrap up, what's a good way to get a hold of you? Is there a good email or phone number to get in touch with you? Yep, you can email me at sh- my name, Sean Whalen DDS at, gm- at, at gmail.com. It's S E A N W H A L E N D D S at gmail.com. Or you can uh, call my office, 303 427 1951. And, uh, you can call even to tell me I'm wrong about some of the stuff. That's fine too. But if you have questions about anything, I'm happy to answer them. I love it. I love it. Well, right. dude, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on and chatting, man. It was good catching up and um, hopefully we can run into each other in person here eventually sometime. Be good. All right. Sounds good, Case. Good luck with practice. Thanks, man. Have a good night. We'll see you. Yep. Take care.
Thanks for listening to the Brews and Tiny Teeth podcast. Don't forget to submit any questions, comments, or tough clinical situations to cgets at troypediatricdentist.com for our next Pedo Pearls Power Hour. Also, be sure to share our podcast and leave a review. Thanks, and we'll see you again next week for another episode.